0: And, um, there are, I'm sure, others that we can find in Scripture, but I want to look at five of them specifically today. In Psalm 51, and let's look down in, uh, let's go to verse number, uh, seven, and we're going to read down through, uh, verse number 12. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which Thou hast broken, may rejoice. Hide Thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Thy presence, and take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation, and uphold me with Thy free spirit. Father, we pray that You'll guide and direct us this afternoon. Thank You for the wonderful music already. And the stirring of our hearts, preparing of it to be sensitive to the leading of Your Holy Spirit as we teach and preach Your Word, I pray that Your Word and the guidance of Your Holy Spirit and conviction upon our hearts uh, would be uh, available and would be uh, that there would be nothing to hinder uh, Your desired work in us. And Father, I pray that You'll help each of us, uh, both in the preaching of Your Word and in the hearing and reading and listening of it. And Father, above all, may we learn to apply it and to put it into practice. Bless the time that we spend around it and give illumination and guidance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This psalm was written shortly after David had committed uh, his uh, sin with Bathsheba and uh, had had her husband Uriah the Hittite murdered uh, to try to cover his sin. And by the way, uh, there are often times we try to cover our sin, but the truth is God sees it, doesn't He? And I've said so often that uh, sins of the heart, sins of the mind, are usually the most common sins in Christians because we realize that people around us don't see it. But what we don't often think about is the fact that God knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He knows the sins uh, that we have. David throws himself on the mercy of God and I believe one of the great telltale signs of why God referred to David as a man after his own heart, in spite of the the gross sin that he commits in his life, uh, is because of the broken and the contrite spirit that he has as a response to the conviction that God brings to him. Uh, And helping him to realize, um, he speaks a lot about this in, in Psalm 51 how did his transgression, his sin, uh, was ever before him, how he was conceived in iniquity. And uh, just goes on and on to speak about his undone and his sinful condition. And he puts himself in the hands of God and says, Lord, have mercy on me. And uh, he pleads for God's forgiveness. And I will say this, that uh, there are times in the Christian life where we tend to lose our joy uh, there was a zeal, there was an excitement the day we got saved. And sin has a way of raining on our parade, so to speak. It has a way of robbing us of our joy. And uh, there are times where we need to come back to the Lord and find our joy once again. I love what is said here. I used to misquote this verse. In fact, for many, many years I misquoted this verse. And I used to quote it this way. Restore, Verse number 12, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And uh, the truth is, the salvation is the Lord's, isn't it? He's the one that bought our salvation and purchased it. He's the one that gave it to us. And uh, He's the one that can keep the joy and the zeal of our salvation stirred up in our hearts through His Holy Spirit. And, uh, but uh, one of the things I want us to get to is and understand from this, this morning or this afternoon, as we get ready to look at these, these uh, thoughts of joy from Scripture is that he uses the word restore, which means that there was a point in his life where he had more joy than he had at the present time. And we can all probably relate to this to some degree. We can look back in our life and say, boy, there's been times uh, the joy of God has just been in my heart uh, so much more than at other times. And um, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to be when you're living in that that time frame of your life where it seems like God is so sweet and your time with the Lord is so sweet and your time in His Word and uh, there's an excitement, there's a joy there. But there are times too where it wanes and we lose some of it. I was listening to a fellow a number of years ago, I was coming back from uh, a trip, I don't remember whether it was Florida or or Tennessee, somewhere south of here, and I was coming through um, the back roads from Paducah, Kentucky across uh, over to Wycliffe uh, and I uh, had tuned into a, a radio station. It was the wee hours of the morning, probably 2 3 o'clock in the morning. And um, I was listening to a fellow preach. I, I don't know who he was, never did hear on the radio who he was. But uh, boy, he had a great, great message. And for about the 15 or 20 minutes that the radio station was in, in range, uh, he was dealing with the topic of joy. And he made a statement. He said, Joy in Scripture is given for the valley. So often, God ties joy to a valley or a trial that we go to. Uh, For instance, uh, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And so He oftentimes ties joy to times of sorrow and times of trial in our lives. And uh, His premise was this, that God gives us joy to sustain us through the valleys. And I thought, well, what a great concept. And as I began to think on that and I began to look up things about joy, it was amazing how often in Scripture the, the subject of joy was tied to a tribulation or a trial or a problem in life. And, uh, you know, sometimes when we think on joy, we think, well, uh, it ought to just be uh, something that's there all the time in our life. And I think it should. Uh, but it's interesting that it is a sustaining factor... In the trials of life, uh, I want to give uh, five things, or show you five things from Scripture uh, that the Bible says will produce joy. And if we have a, a mindset like David did, that Lord, I've lost this joy, uh, and I need it to be restored, I need it to be rejuvenated. Uh, I, J- Jonathan and I were uh, washing a uh, vinyl fence for a fellow this past week, and it had oxidized. Uh, it got that powdery uh, residue on it. You know what I'm talking about. And some of you that brush up against an old vinyl fence or siding, you know what I mean. Uh, even paint sometimes will do that. and You brush it and get it all over your clothes. And uh, we we used a chemical and we were able to restore the vinyl siding and get rid of the oxidation. And uh, there are times in our lives where there is a deterioration in our spirit of, of our joy. And it needs to be restored again. Uh, It needs to be made fresh, made anew. And uh, God has a way of doing that in several ways. Let's uh, look in in our Bibles today to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And keep your Bibles handy. We're going to look at several passages. But uh, five things that will, according to Scripture, according to what God says, will produce joy and uh, help us to have it restored. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And uh, Paul writes in verse number, uh, let's start in verse number uh, 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost so that you were in samples to all that believed in Macedonia and in Achaia. Uh, we find that joy comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Now, we've talked about this, and I've not really preached an entire message on it, although we may in the, in the future deal with this. But when we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible says, comes to indwell us. Uh, he abides in us. And uh, we get all of the Holy Spirit's presence that we're going to get. He doesn't give us part of Himself. He, he doesn't stick His hand in our heart's store and say, okay, you got that part of me. If you want more, you're going to have to pray more. We get all of His presence that we're going to get. We can, however, uh, hinder His work in our lives and through our lives. And uh, the Bible speaks often of being filled uh, with the Spirit. And the idea, the mindset of that is to allow the fullness of what the Holy Spirit can do through us to have free course and free reign to do it effectively through our vessel. Uh, meaning that we should not quench the Holy Spirit and we should not grieve the Holy Spirit. Those are the two things that the Bible says you and I can do to cause the Holy Spirit not to be effectively at work in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean He doesn't indwell us. He does but we hinder His working through us by sin in our lives. Uh, it's very, very important then that we, uh, and, and so many times in Scripture, uh, many of the apostles that wrote, uh, wrote of walking in the Spirit, to walk under His guidance, under His influence, to walk with a sensitivity to the conviction that He brings into our hearts. Uh, isn't it interesting... Uh, We were talking a little bit in the 11 o'clock hour of uh, the law and uh, how that Christ came to fulfill the law. And isn't it interesting that in the New Testament, the Bible says uh, that Jesus is going to write His law or engrave His law on our hearts. And when we get saved, have you ever noticed this? That we don't have to go and read what the law says about what is right and what is wrong. There is all of a sudden something in there that didn't used to be in there that convicts us about what is right and what is wrong. Uh, there are times that uh, we, we start to do something and we may not even know a Scripture verse against it and we'll think, boy, this just doesn't seem right. Well, what is that? That's the Holy Spirit of God instructing us and bringing conviction to our hearts about these things. So the Holy Spirit should have a free reign and free course in our lives. There ought to be a yieldedness and a sensitivity and a longing for that peace that comes from following after and responding appropriately to His work in our hearts. Uh, And so very, very important that we give the Holy Spirit free reign. We do not grieve Him. We do not restrict Him. We do not quench Him in any way, shape, or form. Because He is the source of joy. Uh, Paul spoke of it here, uh, of those that had the joy in the Holy Ghost, or of the Holy Ghost, in verse number 6. Look with me also in Romans chapter number 14. Romans chapter number 14. And uh, let's look in verse number 17. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now understand that uh, the kingdom of God is that which we get to enjoy this side of heaven. Uh, His work in us. Uh, the fact that we're Christians and we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, this working of the kingdom in our hearts, it, it is uh, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost in this place. Uh, we find that there is a joy that comes not just from the indwelling, but from the yieldedness of the Holy Ghost to the Holy Ghost, uh, we find that there is righteousness that comes, there is peace that comes, and then there is joy that comes. And then let me look also in Galatians chapter number five, very familiar passage of Scripture and one that a lot of people can quote. Galatians chapter number five, and let's look down in verse number twenty-two. But the fruit we see that word there? The fruit of the, capital S, Spirit. Not our Spirit, but the Holy Spirit of God. The fruit of that is love. What's the next one here? Joy. It is part of what the Holy Spirit produces in us as we are open and yielded to His leading. As we walk in the Spirit. Uh, it is a fruit that He bears out in us. It is not something that we, we labor towards and, and struggle with and try to produce of our own accord and in our own lives. There is the problem that a lot of us have as Christians is that we think that we can produce the joy in our lives. Boy, if I could just do this, I'd have joy. No, if I could get more yielded to the Holy Spirit in my life and walk in the way that He is leading me and guiding me in light of His Word there will be joy that is produced from this. It is something that is a fruit of His working in our lives. Not something that we labor towards. Not something that we uh, strain and fight for. Uh, my dad uh, had a, a little orange tree in the backyard uh, down in South Florida that he loved. He bought it at Lowe's, little small, small one. They, he found out that it was going to take a few years for it to reach enough maturity to bear an orange on it and um, he would go out there and he nurtured that thing he used to get on to me all the time now don't you hit that thing with the weed eater uh, and skin that bark up and i mean he loved that little tree he went out there weed-eated it he put miracle grow on it and, and my dad believed that with god and miracle grow anything could grow and uh he he got there and uh, uh year after year went by no fruit no fruit no fruit and finally there was one year and i i remember i, I was out there mowing one night and he's out there watering it and i hear him talking to this tree <laughs> And he told the tree, he said, if you don't give me an orange this year, I'm going to cut you down. And I mean, he was mad. He was mad at this tree. And uh, just frustrated. It had been several years. I don't know how much money he had spent on it trying to get it to grow. And so sure enough, that year, the the orange blossoms came and went. And it it had one piece of fruit that was a little green orange that never did ripen. But he couldn't cut it down because it bore a piece of fruit. And, And I laugh at that. but But you know, the truth of the matter is, as you watch a tree that bears fruit, the tree doesn't labor to produce the fruit. The tree produces the fruit because of the nourishment that it gets, and it's just a natural result of what's on the inside of that tree. It's not something that the tree sits there and thinks, Boy, I'm going to, there's a branch right there, it needs an orange, and oh, I'm going to work really hard. Oh, there it is, I got the orange now. It's just a natural result of the inner condition of the tree. And I tell you this, that when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it's not something that we labor for. It is something that as we yield ourselves to Him, as we do everything in our power to not quench and to not grieve Him, He produces it in us. It cannot help but come out. Uh, Joy ought to be one of those things that if somebody jostles our spiritual arm, it just spills out of our saucer. Because it is so much inside of us, what the Holy Spirit is doing, that it just has no other purpose than to produce fruit in us. And so we find that the Holy Spirit is a source of joy. If our joy is lacking, I I would question this, both in my life and in your life am I quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit in some way? Because if He has full control, if He has the yieldedness of my heart to His leading, the Bible tells me that the fruit of that is going to be joy. If I lack in joy, then I'm I'm doing something to quench that. So I would ask that question if I'm lacking the joy that I used to have or feel like I'm in that place where David found himself. Notice that the lack of joy in David's life was the result of his sin, wasn't it? And the restoration of the joy in his life was what? The confession of that sin and getting it right with God. Let's look in Psalm 16 for a moment. Psalm 16. And we'll see a second thing that produces joy. Not only the sensitivity, the leading, the yieldedness to the Holy Spirit of God... But secondly, in Psalm 16, and look with me, if you will, in, in 11, verse number 11, the psalmist says, wilt, uh, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is what? Fullness of joy. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Can I tell you this? That there is joy when we are yielded and sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our lives. But secondly, there is joy when we spend time in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we spend time in the presence of God. And when we come to Him, and that's why so often we deal with our walk with God being something more than just a scheduled time. Being more than just a punch clock type of a a devotional. But that we spend time with the Lord in His presence. That we, we linger there. Not wanting to leave. Uh, there are times. The other day, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, a couple of us men went down to go fishing. I, Brother Douglas and Brother Mark and uh, we took John Seal. He hogged all the fish. Yeah, I think the boy caught I don't know 500 fish or something like that. Say boy, man, young man. He uh, he was pulling. This this is how bad it got. He threw it through the line in one time, and when he pulled it, there were two fish on the same hook, on the same lure, not different hooks, same lure, they hit at the same time. And we're all standing over there just looking at him like, what are we, chopped liver? We got nothing here. And he's just having a blast over there, and we're like, well, glad, glad you're having fun, you know. But we went out that day, and it was one of the most beautiful days I think I'd ever been. The temperature was beautiful, the sky was beautiful, uh, the scenery was beautiful, and I remember getting to the place where I was done fishing. John wasn't even giving me a chance, so I figured might as well hang it up. I rolled my fishing pole up. And I sat back in my chair, and I thought, you know, I just don't even want to leave. It's beautiful. The leaves were turning. It's the, the, uh, just beautiful. I didn't want to leave. And there was a sweetness of that hour that just in nature I loved. Could you imagine the sweetness that there can be found in the presence of God? To where when we come into His presence, we say, Lord, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. This, this is sweet. This is wonderful. And this is where the psalmist said is a place to get the fullness of our joy. Notice in verse 11, again, what he says here Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. He's going to fill up our hearts to capacity as much as we can stand of the joy. Where does it come from? His presence, spending time with Him. There's, uh, there's joy that is produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's joy that is produced and filled to overflowing even when we are in the presence of God and then i want you to notice in psalm 32 psalm 32 another source of joy psalm 32 and let's look in uh, verse number 11 psalm 32 and verse number 11 again these are these are things that god has given us in his word to say here's if you're lacking joy here's where you get it from here's where the joy comes from Psalm 32, verse 11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye what? Righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Can I tell you another thing that brings great joy? Living a holy life. To have a heart that is upright. To have a heart that, to quote Jesus in the Beatitudes... Hungers and thirsts after righteousness. You know, when we sin because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there is conviction. And we feel, because of that conviction, we feel guilty. Can I tell you this? Guilt is the enemy of joy. But when you can lay down your head with a good conscience and uprightness of heart, there is great joy that comes from that. The psalmist speaks here both two different times in rejoicing those that are righteous. But beyond rejoicing, he says, And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. I wonder if if we could get to that point where we were we were so upright in our hearts, so hungering and thirsting after the righteousness of God, so much is skewing the things of this world. Brother Dan was talking about the music of the world that's creeping into our churches, and it's appalling to see not just the music, but so many things of the world creeping into our churches. Where is the purity? Not only in our churches, but in our own lives. And to have the uprightness of heart. Could you imagine getting to the place where the joy is so great that according to the psalmist here, they are told to shout for the joy. That, thats you ever hear somebody shout? It's not very tense. They don't stand up and sing. The joy of the Lord is no wonder. Brother Dan talks about singing with with volume and with gusto and with fervency. Why? Because there ought to be there ought to be a, a response to the joy that God has given us in our hearts. I'll tell you what, you sing some of these songs and it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to make your eyeballs leak leak, or it's going to make your lungs shout pretty, pretty loud. And both of them can be the same response, overjoyed. But he says this, that there is a joy that comes to those that are upright in heart. Not just those that do things right, but their hearts pursue after uprightness. There is righteousness about them. There is an inward love and desire, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Joy comes from that. So much joy that we can even shout. And by the way, uh, don't let don't let the charismatics rob our shout from us. I'm not I'm not all about trying to shout in a service for the sake of people shouting and, and making some kind of big nuisance or chaos out of themselves. But there are times that God stirs our hearts. We need to lift up our voice. Look with me in Psalm 126. Psalm 126. There's a joy in yieldedness to the Holy Spirit that He produces in us. There's a joy in the presence of God that be found in His presence. There's a joy that we have from righteous living, living in a way that is an uprightness of heart. But in Psalm 126, let's see also in verse number 6. Uh, uh, sorry, verse number... Did I have the right, wrong passage here? Yep, I got... Oh, there we go. Nope. Oh, there we go. Verse number 6, I was looking. Psalm 127, there we go. Uh, verse number 6, I thought I had it right. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with what? Rejoicing. Bringing his she's with him. Those of you that have had the opportunity in your lifetime to be a part of bringing someone to a place where they make a decision to trust Christ as their Savior can give testimony to the fact that there is probably no greater joy in this world than to have a part in leading someone to the decision of trusting Christ. Isn't it amazing that God gives us the great privilege to be a part of that miraculous work? Oh, we don't do the transforming work, but He allows us to bring the message to them.
1: He allows
0: us to help lead them to a knowledge of the truth. And oh, what joy comes from this. There's a joy that comes from sharing the gospel. A joy that comes from telling someone who is lost and undone, someone who is condemned and on his way to hell, that there is a God in heaven that loves them so much that He was willing to pay the price for them. He fulfilled the law at every point and offers to us His righteousness. Oh, what an amazing thing to be able to share with those that need to hear it. And then when that moment comes, and they uh, they have that this time of decision where they trust the Lord, they put their faith in Him, and what He's done for them on Calvary. Oh, the joy that there is that moment, knowing that they've trusted Christ as their Savior, and you got to be a part of it. There's a wonderful joy in sharing of the gospel. Then I want you to notice also in First Peter, and we'll be done. First Peter, chapter number one, and and. Again, as, as so many times, when we teach lessons like these, uh, there are other things in Scripture that produce joy. I'm not saying this is a limited list, but these are some things that certainly we know do produce joy, and we ought to know them. First Peter chapter number one, and let's look in verse number six. First Peter chapter one in verse number six, wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom through though now ye see him not, yet believing... Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Can I tell you something else that will bring great joy in our lives? And that is when we put our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ during the trying of our faith. When we are have our faith tried and all we can do is look to the Savior... And say, Lord, I'm going through this trial. I'm not going to make it without You. I'm trusting You. I'm casting My care upon You. The Bible says according to this in verse number 8, yet believing, meaning we're believing in Him, yet believing we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Think back to the time in your life that has already happened. And if you don't have an event like this, you can rest assured at some point in your life, more than likely you will have it happen. But think back to that time in your life when a trial came that was one of the darkest trials you've ever had to go through. Some of the deepest sorrow. I don't know if it's this way with everyone, but I'll tell you in my life there was a moment where I said, Lord, after all that I have done for You, all the sacrifices over the years that I've made in serving You, and this is what I get as a result of it. I'm not proud of that thought. In fact, it was probably one of the deepest times of my life, and it was something that as soon as the thought was there, I was so convicted. It was almost as though I was saying, Lord, I've done all these things for You, so You owe it to me to treat me better than this. That's really what I was saying by that. How arrogant to think such a thing. As if God owes us anything. I remember that darkest moment and the temptation to say, and, 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 and where I was at at that point was, Lord, I don't want anything more to do with ministry. I don't want to serve you anymore. I don't want to do anything for you. If this is what I get as a result and the pain that I have to go through because of this, I don't want it anymore. And I was ready to turn and walk away. Aren't you glad for a long-suffering God, one that has been touched with the feeling of our infirmities and He knows and understands? And in that moment of conviction, I I, I said, "Lord, I'm so sorry. I should never have even thought those things." In fact, I even, if I remember correctly, I even got mad at the Satan for making me think things like that. I don't know if He made me think them or not, or it was just the flesh. But I remember saying, Lord, I'll never think those things again. Because the truth of the matter is, it's during this moment that You are my strength. I'm not going to make it through this if You're not there. And all the peace that came across my heart at that moment. The joy. There was a great lesson learned that I'll be real frank with you. I haven't gotten over it yet. And that is that there is great joy when in the midst of the trying of our faith, we still cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people today that when things that bring them that low, I'm not talking about things that we're disappointed in. I'm not talking about things that hurt our feelings or cause us disappointment. I'm talking about the deep, deep pain Where you don't wish anybody, not even your enemies, to have to suffer through something like that. During those moments, the closeness, the strength, the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ can be very real to us. And there are people that reach those depths and they have the same thought that I had. And the sad thing is they act upon it and forsake God and leave all that they know. I've knocked on doors of people who said, I used to be in church, I used to be active in church, and then they would go into the story of the valley that they went through that caused them to get bitter at God. And we have a choice in a time like that. We can either get bitter at God and upset at Him and turn from Him or we can wrap our arms to hold to Him as our only hope of surviving the situation. As our source of strength. And it's amazing that Peter says, that's what will give you some joy. When in the middle of the trial, you can cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. It will give you joy. The psalmist said, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. There are going to be times, if there have not already been in your life, where our joy is going to wane. It's not going to be what it used to be. It's during those times that we need to say, Lord, uh, restore unto me that joy. But then also look at these things and find, are there some things that we have done to forfeit that joy that we can get back to and say, Lord, I want that joy again. I want to go through the rest of my days. I'm not saying there won't be problems. I'm not saying there won't be some sadness in life. But I want to, I really, I'll I'll be honest with you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live between now and the time the Lord returns? Or the time He takes us home to heaven? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live with joy in our hearts? We could live with joy. I hope this will help us today. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for the teaching and the instruction of your word. How your Holy Spirit uh, takes what we have learned and He applies it and allows us to know, Lord, we do. We know when we're failing in them. There's that sense about it. Uh, the the, the conviction.